following podcast is scheduled for one fall. Hailing from the Pro Wrestling Tees headquarters in Chicago, Illinois, they are your hosts of the PWT cast, Scrub and Stank! Bang, bang, what is up, you guys? Welcome to episode 112 of the PWT cast. My name is Scrump. This is Stank. And this is the official podcast of Pro Wrestling Tees. We bring you this podcast for free every Monday right here on this very feed. If you already aren't, make sure you're following us over on uh, Instagram and Twitter. We're at PWTCast. Uh, you can find our personal uh, Instagrams and Twitters on there as well. Uh, and uh, leave us like a leave us a five-star review. Everyone says it's good for the algorithm. Um, I'm not sure which algorithm but I enjoy reading these uh, wonderful five-star reviews from you guys. Uh, as well as we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash PWTCast. Three different tiers for as low as five bucks. Um, you know, you can support us and, and get a, a ton of extra content. Uh, we, we have our movie review show in the form of Scrump and Stank's family video. Our conspiracy theory, cryptid, mystery, just sort of spooky podcast, uh, Scrump and Stank's detective agency. And we have a Power Ranger retrospective that we did uh, a few episodes of called um, Go Go Scrump and Stank. So you can go find all that good stuff over at patreon.com forward slash PWTCast. Dave, uh, Dave is feeling a little under the weather, you guys. Uh, I, I think yes. I'll, I'll hand it over to Dave to, to talk about it because um, he's a little under the weather. Well, I've had quite the roller coaster of a week so far. So, uh, like Saturday, uh, I just felt like really tired and like I, I slept like most of the day. Now, like sometimes normally I'm, I'm staying up till two o'clock every morning watching shows, you know, you get down that YouTube rabbit hole, but like lately I've been going to bed early, feeling good. Um, but normally like, I'll do like two weeks or maybe like a month of staying up real late. And then one weekend I'll crash and like, I got to catch up. But like this one, I just, I could not wake up. Like I would wake up and then it would be like my eyelids were really sleepy. And then I would just fall asleep. And like Annie was a little concerned, but she was like, all right, you know, maybe he's just playing catch up. And then started getting a cough and then just out of abundance of caution, I didn't want to go to work sick. So I went and took, uh, a home test for COVID and both me and my wife tested positive for COVID. So I told my brother who had hung out with us that weekend, he also tested positive and then he ran to a clinic to go get a test. Um, he tested negative on the rapid and we're waiting for the PCR. So we did the same thing. And then we both tested negative and I was like, Oh, well, you know, we're still waiting for our lab tests. But, um, I read the reviews for this home test and it said people were getting false positives. So I felt pretty confident that maybe I just had like a summer cold or something. And, uh, my daughter got a PCR test that came in first. She's negative. And so we, you know, we did, uh, MCU later with uh, the great and powerful WH Park. And I said, Oh, I got a cough, but it's not COVID. I'm pretty sure it's not. And then we did, um, we did our scrub and stakes detective agency. And I was like, oh, I got a little bit of cough, but I'm fine. And then my test result came in. The lab test is positive. I have COVID. So um, luckily I had been fully vaccinated. And so, like I said, it felt like a, like a medium sized cold. I, you know, I, I have a fairly irregular persistent cough, but other than that, I, 
I, uh, and I'll tell you when I got my home test positive result, the one that freaked me out the most, all of a sudden I couldn't taste and smell anything. And I think it was psychosomatic where I was just like, ah, all my senses are failing, but, uh, no, I, I could taste fine. I could smell fine. And like I said, I, sometimes I may have, it almost feels like a headache, but not quite. And I'm coughing a little bit. And same thing with my wife. She also tested positive. So we've been Lysoling everything. Somehow my daughter managed to not get it. So she's, she's kind of isolated in her room and she's fine with that. She's playing video games and <clears throat> she's enjoying the time off of school. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's strange that the odds of someone that is vaccinated getting COVID, I, I thought were pretty like low, but, um, it is real guys. Like, and you know, we, we wear masks. We don't, you know, we like to keep social distance with people that we know are not vaccinated and stuff like that. And, you know, my wife practically slathers herself in hand sanitizer every three seconds and we still got it. So, uh, you gotta be careful out there guys. It's real. And, you know, I was discussing this with you earlier, Berto, but like, had it not been for my vaccine, you know, I, I have very, I'm very at risk. I'm overweight. I'm a little bit older. You know, all these things make you really high risk for this sort of thing. So it could have been a lot worse had I not been vaccinated, but, um, I got to believe that it helped me kind of get through this without too much scathing. Uh, but yeah, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be isolating at home for at least another week and then I'll take another test just to make sure. But, uh, if you hear me coughing, that's uh, my COVID trying to get out. Yeah, I, like you know, I I myself I I had taken a COVID test earlier in the week because, uh, as I mentioned, you know, I was at a con in Ohio and uh, yeah. a, plenty of Michael Meyer masks, no actual uh, you know face masks. Aside, I think me and Wes uh, were the only people wearing actual masks. But yeah, I, I, we're the weirdos. Yeah, <laughs> we were the weirdos. Um, yeah, no, like it's like you, you know, we you hadn't, which you know, for those of you guys who are members of the Patreon, you might have noticed, like, oh, all these episodes came out, uh, you know, uh, very, very late compared to what they normally do, and it was just that, you know, it was just Dave was feeling under the weather. On top of, yeah. I was just busy as fuck at work, um, so yeah, yeah, it was just there, there was really no time to, uh, you know record or, or, or do anything really but I'm, I'm happy to hear though that like you know despite you guys having covid um that you guys are seemingly doing fine you know again i, I was uh i was talking to a doctor yesterday and I'll, I'll put within the context of why i was just talking to a doctor about covid yesterday um but we were talking and you know he mentioned like you know you get COVID, you get COVID, but you know, if you have the vaccine, it's, it's going to feel a lot less severe because it's the, the yeah. vaccine doing its job. Um, you know, like, don't, like, don't take any horse dewarmer, please. Um, oh, one. you're not, you're not supposed to take that. Dave, what the fuck? No, don't take any horse dewarmer. Dude, I was eating so much horse dewormer. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even think eating it is the way you're supposed to take it. Oh, man. <laughs> I've been doing it wrong the whole time. <laughs> well, yeah, for those for those of you listening, if if you get COVID, don't take horse dewormer, and also don't listen to well, uh, you know, uh, according to Nicki Minaj, if you take the vaccine, your balls are going to be huge. And you know, I've I've shared a cabin with Dave, and I was just like, 
and he doesn't need the vaccine for that. Those things are, you yeah. know, looks like Dave's carrying around two bowling balls. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, again, for if, you know, for anyone out there, uh, get tested, especially if you were at Riot Fest this weekend. Much like uh, I will be getting tested you know, again. Um, but uh, Dave, I wound up, I randomly wound up at Riot Fest. I know, I know what you're thinking. I know how much this guy <laughs> loves him some punk music and loves large crowds of people. Uh, yeah, I randomly, uh, you know, I got invited very last minute by a friend of mine. I went with her and her brother. Her brother was a doctor, which is, you know, why, uh, I mentioned I was talking to a doctor yesterday. Um, and it was, it was fun. You know, like I, the last, I've normally only gone to Riot Fest to see atmosphere. Like I would literally show up, see atmosphere play and then get the fuck out. Like Bounce. Yeah. Yeah. Just bounce. Because again, like I'm just. I hate this before COVID. I hate crowds of people. I hate being at a concert. There's so many people. It's just like, ugh. um, but you know, I, I was just like, yeah, you know what? I was like, I'm, I don't really have anything planned this Saturday. Like, why not? It's a free ticket. Like I'll, I'll go. Um, and it was pretty fun. And funny enough, like I texted Mark, Mark Villanueva, a friend of the show who lived, he, this guy lived at Douglas park this weekend, you know, for riot fest. Um, yeah. I was like, Hey, where are you? no signal anywhere like it's just terrible service in there you could call someone but as far as texting good luck and i'm like ah you know what i'm like eventually i'll run into him and sure enough like two minutes after i say that he literally just comes stumbling about and i was like yeah there's my handsome boy um but no it was cool it was fun uh, at one point uh one of the our, uh my friend's brother um his friend showed up his friend had a baby with him but you know, baby had a little set of like those like soundproof headphones on and stuff, and like yeah, it's it probably the coolest baby there. Um, but yeah, no, Riot Fest, you know, it, it was fun. Um, at one point though, um, because they really wanted to see the Dropkick Murphy specifically, so they could play that that one Irish song that everyone knows. You know, like it plays during the Departed. Martin Scorsese yeah. loves playing that specific song. Um, and so we're standing at this stage. And it's in between them and Run the Jewels. And Run the Jewels is so loud that it's just a giant amalgamation of noise. Like, you can't hear either group playing. They're both playing as loud as humanly possible. But Run the Jewels is so much louder that it is just you are stuck in this, like, vacuum of just noise. To the point where we're like, should we just move, like, three feet that way so we can actually hear what's going on? Um, Right. Yeah, but no, again, you know, it it was fun. It was my, you know, like first time being like, at a music festival since COVID started, um, and yeah, like there were some people in masks. I had my mask, you know. But even then, I'm like a responsible boy. Yeah, I was definitely like, oh, I'm I'm definitely gonna go get tested. Um, but yeah, Riot, Riot Fest was fun, and um, if you were at Riot Fest this weekend, make sure to go get tested, you know, because again, like this, there's a lot of people there. And uh, you had to present your vaccination card or proof of vaccination to get in. Um, even then, you know, that many people around each other, we should still go get tested. Uh, yeah. But Dave, um, you know, unfortunately you got COVID and that was, I I think knowing how much of a fan you were of this person, getting COVID is probably the second shittiest thing to happen to you this week. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure many of you know uh, Norm Macdonald passed away, and I, I'll be honest with you, like I, I love, I love Norm. He's probably my favorite comedian of all time. 
Um, so much so that like literally without exaggeration, and this is not me jumping on the norm bandwagon. My brother and I talk about norm several times a week, every week for like the last year, like or several years. Like all we do is talk about norm for some reason. Cause like we kind of have the same sensibilities and, um, yeah, I get it. We we mentioned a couple weeks ago, or I I I did where uh, I was suffering silence. Right, like nobody wants to hear your bullshit. Everyone's got their own shit, and like Norm apparently was the very epitome of that. Like he had been battling cancer for nine years and didn't tell a single person, and so um, you know, and it, it's almost eerie now to hear some of his sets because he would he would actually deal with death a lot and. Uh, he even did like an interview where he was talking about people openly uh, talking about their battle with cancer. And, and this is not everyone. So like if you're battling cancer and you're outspoken about it, I'm not attacking you, but like he, he said something to the effect of if, if I had cancer, I would just keep my mouth shut because I don't want every conversation that I have to be colored with, Oh, you're so brave, you know, for just trying to live and so, but he said that, and at the time he must have had cancer. It's just, it's weird. Um, he's definitely one of those comedians that uh, some people just don't get. Uh, you know, he's got a weird cadence. Uh, his voice is everyone does a norm impression. Um, but it's really, it's really sad because Norm tended to be a little hermetical where he or, hermetical is that a word i don't know he was a hermit and um but like you know he was sick and the, like the last two years he couldn't get out you know he he did the the norm mcdonald show on youtube and on netflix and then these last two years he's kind of been sitting in his apartment suffering in silence so um yeah i, I watch a lot of norm clips normally like when i'm working i, I like hearing a stand-up and it's weird now it's it's colored with this sadness now like almost almost like going through your scrapbook and and looking at an old friend that passed away um but yeah norm was funny dirty work obviously one of his more famous movies um i think his last stand-up that he did was hitler's dog on netflix very very funny if you guys get a chance to check it out but uh yeah he'll be he'll be missed and it sucks he was pretty young i think he was 61 when he passed away so uh, it's definitely a loss. I'm pretty bummed out about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, again, you mentioned, like, yeah, you guys would always mention him. I can vouch, I can vouch for that. You would often make Norm McDonald references, and whenever I hung around you and Chris, like, you guys would at some point invariably make several Norm McDonald references, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he was, again, to me, what I loved, what I loved the most about Norm Macdonald, like he was one of those comedians. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna pretend like, oh, I followed all his work and watched all his stuff. Um, but he, to me, he was one of those comedians who uh, just did not give a fuck. Like if if he thought something was funny, he was going to, you know, he was going to tell the joke, whether or not, you know, you thought it was funny. Like he famously, and I, I, I believe I'm. I'm telling the story as it goes is he lost his job on SNL because uh he was telling um OJ jokes OJ OJ Simpson as, jokes yeah as part of uh he was the the host of Weekend Update and 
Don Olmeyer, the head of NBC at the time, was really good friends with OJ and told him to cut it out, cut it out with the OJ jokes. And he just doubled down and just would not stop doing OJ jokes. Yeah. And like, again, that's someone that's like, you got to admire, you know, like this, yeah. this person said, nope. I'm going like that's I'm going to fucking keep doing them. And if you have a problem with it, that's on you. And he did it. And just again, like any story you hear about him from from friends, you know, like it's just uh, from friends of his. You could just tell him like a genuinely like like a genuinely fun person he was. He brought a smile to a lot of people's faces. And again, yeah, like again from the stories that i hear it, it very much was the norm mcdonald thing to not talk about you know battling cancer on you know until unfortunately it ultimately took his life and someone who i think you know will the impact he had within the industry will um will be felt you know for years to come because how like how many comedians do we know now who are just copying norm mcdonald you know, yeah. like there's so many of, I think like Seth Rogen would like, he came out and he was just like, yeah, like in my early years, I just copied Norm MacDonald, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a bummer, but I, if, if it's, whenever like a musician or, you know, actor, comedian, they die, I think, um, especially one with such held in such high revere, you know, like Norm MacDonald is that they leave behind such a body of work that they're never truly dead. You know, yeah. cl- clearly they're gone from this plane of existence, but they'll live forever, you know, with, with their yeah. with their comedy specials, with, you know, jokes, like stories people will tell about them. And I, I, I think that's beautiful. I, I think that's awesome because, uh, you know, we all like as much, you know, as much time as we all think we have on this earth, we have increasingly a lot less time than we would actually like to, you know, like yeah. if so, if someone showed up to your house and told you exactly how much time you have to live, it would never be enough. They could say you have right. 91 years left and you sit there and, you know, be in a cold sweat because you're like, how do I maximize the time? Yeah, how do you <laughs> maximize the time? Yeah. So just, you know, m- make sure you tell the ones you love that you love them. Make sure, you know, give people their flowers while they're still here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, just uh, just do your best to, and I know it sounds very hippy-dippy, but, like, just do your best to try yeah. not to be a dick. Because, yeah. um, you know, when, when people die, you know, w- when people die, nobody wants to be like, yeah, well, you know what, fuck this guy. He was kind of a prick. You know, no, nobody wants to hear those kinds of stories. And even though some people who are like, you know, some people will say, well, you know, they had their faults. Like, don't don't be one of those people, you know, just be a good person yeah. for no other reason other than just it takes zero, you know, zero time out of your day to just be a decent human being. Well, and I will say, you know, uh, let's kind of wrap it up about Norm. He did have a very astute observation about cancer and cancer victims. You know, he said you'll always hear when someone dies of cancer that, you know, people always say he he tragically lost his battle. And Norm made this very astute observation. He's like, well, he didn't really lose. It, it was more like a draw because when you die of cancer, you take the cancer with you. And so you also beat cancer at the same time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a funny way to look at it. Um, and, and that's really like Norm's lasting legacy is that. 
he gave us funny ways to look at things. And so, uh, yeah, if you get a chance, check out his work. Um, you know, he won't know that you're enjoying it, but like he did leave a really big body of work, especially like, uh, in late night interviews, especially on Conan, Conan famously says Norm was his famous, his favorite, uh, guest. And he's got a lot of really funny moments on there. So Norm will be missed. Um, but yeah, take care of yourselves and check in on your friends. Cause like maybe they're struggling and they just want to suffer in silence, but they might need a friend. So uh, yeah, I think giving people their roses while they're still around is probably the, the most perfect way of saying, you know, love the people you love. So exactly. Uh, Dave, before we get into this week's interview, there's there one last thing I wanted to bring up because we do have a guest on this week and I'll talk a little bit about him in a bit because um, something happened this week that just blew my mind. All right. It was just it was insane. I was I was going crazy at the shop. And that was, as I'm watching AEW Dynamite at work, I, yes. s- I see fellow uh, View Askew alumni, Rosario Dawson, Becky herself, um, confronting Alistair Black, or Malachi Black, I'm sorry, con- yeah. confronting Malachi Black, and like clearly everyone who listens to this if this is your first time listening um i'm somewhat of a kevin smith fan i've only got the man's face tattooed on me go back and listen to episode 13 where we where i interview him and jason muse i'm a huge kevin smith fan uh so you as you know one would predict i was over the moon when uh james on the bob showed up on the first episode of dynamite you know i was like fuck yeah this is super awesome and I figured that aside from Chris Jericho, who, you know, he's he's now in, in a, he's in a few of Kevin Smith movies. I'm like, there's I'm, I'm never going to there's not going to be anyone else crossing over from with the, the views universe, which is the, the universe of Kevin Smith movies. Right. And then there's Rosario oh, Dawson jumping on Malachi Black's back. And like, I was literally like, holy shit. Holy shit. I was like, Rosario Dawson's fighting Malachi Black, like yelling it like at the shop and everyone's like, "What? What?" And they're like running o- like Jeremy like runs over to like s- see what I'm watching. And that's just such an awesome moment. Like again, one of those things like I went online and I was like, "This is cooler than anything WWE has done like all year <laughs> long." And people were just like, "Oh, but actually, I'm like, I don't care. Shut up." Like yeah. I don't care, you know. Let me enjoy the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um but no, that was just so awesome, and like I love this integration. That I, I love that, you know. And then of course Cody makes his return. I I would have much preferred, like I mentioned to you, that she would have, you know, I was like he should have given Rosario a black mass and then have that be yeah. impetus for Cody come, to come back. Um, but that you know, aside from that, that the whole reason for Malachi Black to come out was that he was so angry that Rosario Dawson was sitting front row wearing, you know, her nightmare family, like jacket. Like that was just, that was the whole impetus for that, um, you know, bit because of course in kayfabe, we don't know Cody's coming back. Um, but I, I just, it's one of those things where like uncle Tony just keeps knocking it out of the park with these surprises. Like, I know that's, you know, it's not like, it's not the craziest thing. I didn't like the internet on fire. Um, t- to me, that was Daniel Bryan or uh, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole, CM Punk, like, you know, level right. to me, because again, it's just, it's these two worlds crossing and intersecting that I never thought would. Yeah, it was. So admittedly, I didn't have time to watch dynamite, but I literally 
went to go check on it and I turned it on <laughs> right as like I was like, who is that? I, she was like writing it like a like a rodeo bull. I was like, who is that? And I kept hearing Rosario Dawson. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Is that Rosario Dawson? So uh, I knew you were very excited about that. Yeah, it's just, it's wacky. Celebrities get used in wrestling all the time, but like this was, this was like a little bit like a step extra, especially for like, like for a woman to jump on a dude and just like try and strangle him. It was, it was so cool. Uh, And yeah, like, I could tell you, I could hear you popping all the way from Elgin. Dude, I, I loved it. It was the best. Yeah. But you know what else? Oh, also, also, sorry. Also, in wrestling news, Big E won the title. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. And I love Big E. I don't want to be negative. I, I want him to bask in the glow of his win as much as possible. The, the sad thing about it is you always have to wonder how are they going to make him look like a fool for two minutes and lose to Brock Lesnar somehow. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope this guy gets a long reign. I don't think it will. I th- I think they just did it so they can see a title change in Saudi Arabia. But I mean, the the fact that he got it finally. I mean, good on good on him. He's worked very hard. I think he deserves it. And in in a nice little cross promotional note, Will Hobbs congratulated him on Twitter, and then Big E said, "I've been watching you for a long time, and you've got all the tools." Like wrestling is such a good love fest right now. I love it. I love it even more when these wrestlers like um, congratulate each other on cross company, and there's all those weirdos in the comments who are just like, "Yeah, oh, like WWE should punish you for saying hi to someone in AEW." That's that's like, yeah, but no, yeah, congrats to Biggie as well. Yeah, that that was pretty awesome. Like, I know, I know, he's famously been talking about wanting a match with Goldberg. Um, maybe he gets on. Hopefully, not for the title because, um, yeah. You know, Goldberg will probably. Yeah, go, hey go, Goldberg, your your kids seen you take the title off of enough people. Just go chill out. <laughs> we don't need any more Goldberg. Yeah, and hey, you know, last since you know, going from Rosario to Big E, uh, let's go to another. Uh, you know, um, another good like moment uh, in wrestling that happened this week. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but um, Ron Funches wrestled at GCW this weekend. Oh, did he? How did he yeah, do? Yeah, so Ron Funches was accompanied by Paul Shear, uh, and Danhausen um, down to the ring, uh, where he wrestled Tony Depp in a G- at GCW. I I haven't watched the entire match. I know at one point Ron Funches hits uh, Canadian Destroyer on Tony Depp, and um, and <laughs> everyone's doing them Canadian destroyers. Everyone's doing those Canadian destroyers. But by all accounts, Ron looked good. He 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 famously he trained at the Santino's brother wrestling school where uh, fellow uh, guest past friend uh, Brody King trained. So you know he he knows his fundamentals. And uh, word on the street is he did not win the match because Paul Shear uh, turns on him. I don't know. I haven't seen the entire match. I've only seen clips. But you know, wrestling can be fun. Wrestling can be fun when, when, uh, you know, when they try, and I love that. Yeah. Um, but what I love even more, though, Dave, is uh, the interview with this week's guest. So I put out a tweet last week where I was just like, "We just recorded." An inter- I was like, "I, you know, just recorded an interview with someone that I've been wanting to talk to for a long time." Like, you know, it's giving me goosebumps thinking about it. And I think a lot of people thought that it was someone within like the wrestling industry. Um, or like Brendan Fraser, the people are like, did you get Batista? Did you get like Brendan Fraser? I saw a lot of Batista guesses. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. 
if we ever get Batista, I we will not stop advertising that. We will let yeah. you know every single day we got Batista. Um, no, but today's guest is uh, Tim Jacobus, who you might not recognize the name immediately, but if you're if you know if you grew up in the '90s, you have seen his artwork countless times. He, of course, illustrated the you know the Goosebumps book, the original Goosebumps books, and like such a cool dude. Yeah, I I mentioned um. I mentioned in the interview, like I bought some prints from him and I reached out to be like, Hey, you know, would you want to do an interview? Like, I know this is, you know, pro wrestling tease. It's a the wrestling podcast, but you know, I'm like, I, I do substantially talk about your books. And, uh, he came on and I, you know, I think I can speak for both of us. Like cool fucking dude. You know, he had a lot of fun Super stories cool. to tell. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were just, I, at least for me, I was, I was thrilled by just how much he had to say and you know like we we tease episode two with him and like i definitely think he's someone who's going to come back for for a second interview at some point yeah i mean one how cool is it to see someone that literally was a part of your youth right like how many times do, do we see cool stuff and you don't know who the creator is and like we're so blessed to, to one to know who this guy is and he was so generous with his time and like the cool thing about it is like you can reach a certain level of notoriety, especially when it comes to like art and stuff. And it's very easy for you to get jaded. Um, and, you know, how many times has he probably been at conventions and said, you're my favorite artist and I love you and, and you've inspired me to be art. And then you hear that a thousand times and it's really easy to get callous to that. But like we could tell from talking with uh, Tim that like one, he loves what he does Two, he loves talking to the fans of, of the artwork that he made. And he still has like a really open, generous spirit. And that it's so refreshing to see someone who's has decades of great success and awesome art and creativity still have that uh, that friendly spark. And, he, you know, so cool. Um, I don't know what I expected talking to him, but he far exceeded my expectations. Very cool guy. And like I said, I can't wait for, you know, episode two with him because uh, I, I – like we said in the interview, I think we barely scratched the surface with this guy. Uh, definitely. And like the, the fact that he's as much of a chatty Cathy as we are, you know, definitely. Yeah. I think that definitely helped. And yeah, it's it's a really fun interview. Uh, so, you know, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into this week's interview uh, with the legendary uh, Tim Jacobus. <laughs> One of the things that I did last year, like uh, right when the pandemic was sort of starting, um, was actually not for me. It was for my nephew. He goes through these phases where he finds one thing that he's just super obsessed with. Uh, and in this instance, it was Goosebumps books, which I love because, uh, like I've mentioned several times on this show, uh, those and like whatever wrestling related books at uh, my school library, if they had them, I'd always take them out. Um, and of course the artwork was always what stood out the most to me, you know, because, uh, like as a kid, I'm not really like reading what it's about. It's mostly just like, Oh cool. There's a creepy looking, you know, scarecrow on this one. I got to read this. Uh, so it was cool to see my nephew who, you know, he's now like the age that I was when I was discovering those books. And the thing too, the thing that I love the most was cause some of the newer, like re you know, republished ones, they have like different, they don't look like the original ones. And I remember one time I got him one of those and he was just like, oh, these don't look like the like the ones that my mom has and the ones that you have. 
And I was just like, all right, this kid, this kid wants the OG ones. He wants the original ones. So, you know, I would go to, you know, wherever I could to find the original ones. And, you know, he has the complete set. Again, he's nine now, so he probably read them all and kind of just forgot about them. But these are books that, you know, are just, for me, synonymous with my childhood. And um, I was very happy when, like, a few weeks back, uh, one of our coworkers, he's like, hey, he goes, you know the 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 illustrator of these Goosebumps book he sells prints and I was like shut up really and you know I, I go to the website I purchase some so I can decorate the office with and I was like you know what I was like I'm gonna shoot my shot and see if we could get them on here because again Dave like you know for the pro wrestling tees podcast we don't actually really talk much wrestling or t-shirts but one of the things I, I do <laughs> talk about is how much you know I love those Goosebumps books specifically the illustrations uh so we're happy, you know, we're, we're blessed uh, today to be talking to, um, you know, the illustrator of, of when you think goosebumps, you know, those, the synonymous, those iconic covers, you know, there's one person you can thank for that. And that's of course, uh, this week's guest, Tim, uh, Jacobus, Tim, there you go. You got it. <laughs> Tim, my man, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for having me. No, of course. I mean, again, like I mentioned, you're someone who like, I've been staring at your artwork for, you know, last 20 some odd years. Um, is it, is it still kind of like shocking to you that there's still like a whole new generation of, of, of kids and just people that are like discovering and like, Oh wow, look at how cool this artwork of, you know, is. Yeah, that's actually the uh, most surprising and coolest thing about this is that most of us who, who do uh, book covers, you do, you know, you put your art out there, you're happy to get the job, you're happy to get your work on a cover. And then those books come and go from the shelf. And that's the end of it. And the fact that uh, I did uh, my first Goosebumps cover back in 1991, uh, that was a Welcome to Dead House. And there are still people who know Welcome to Dead House. And that shouldn't that normally doesn't happen that shouldn't happen and to your point now that you're turning on your nephew and people are turning on their kids to them and they're being drawn to them as well is even more amazing so yeah hands down if you asked you know 30 year old tim what was going to happen this would never have been a possible scenario well, yeah, I I got to say, um, so when Goosebumps books first started coming out, um, I think I was around 10. My brother was around five and we, we probably missed the first couple years. And then as we would go to the library, my brother would get a ton of Goosebumps books. I'm like, these books are for babies. And then just secretly I would read them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to remember, uh, you know, I was a grown man before I read my first Goosebumps. And even yeah. when I was reading, I'm going shit these are pretty good these are better than a lot of the adult books that i did covers for it's like yeah. i'd rather read this any day of the week yeah i mean i gotta say uh th there's something obviously iconic about all those goosebumps covers it's got the it's got the same kind of that warm nostalgic quality that like a lot of like garbage pail kids for instance or the art on trapper keepers for you know going way back when i was younger um it's just amazing to see how many different uh, themes you could come up with. Cause I'm, I'm the artist for pro wrestling tees and 
a lot of times, you know, you have all these wrestlers coming in and they're just like, uh, I need this, I need this. It's, and it's really hard maybe to stay on point and stay fresh. Um, for you, like what, what's some of your, what's some of your process when you're coming up with these covers and, and being able to keep things so fresh and imaginative and colorful for kids? Well, I, first off, let's, you know, cut right to the chase. I was blessed with working with R.L. Stein. Now, not only is he a great writer and a prolific writer, the beauty of Goosebumps was we were telling a new story, a new set of kids, a new monster, a new location. Mm-hmm. Everything was new every month. That's, that's not the way, again, that's not the way this works. So I had nothing but fresh ideas thrown at me or fresh scenarios thrown at me every month to say, okay, come up with something for that. See, let's, let's use you as an example. You're working with wrestlers. Wrestlers are wrestlers. And you're, the box that you're working in is a little tighter. So like you say, sometimes it's hard to find the fresh angle. I didn't have to stretch too hard to find a fresh angle. <laughs> Uh, how is it exactly that you get to work with R.L. Stein? Because, um, like, did you guys know each other prior, or was it sort of just like, hey, check out my artwork, you know, if you want to collaborate in the future? Or how does that, uh, you know, partnership? Yeah, the uh, the book business is funny, and you would think exactly that what you're thinking, that at some point I would be talking to R.L. Stein and he would have, he would know how it goes. The, uh, the book business, they keep authors and illustrators separate. Uh, me as the illustrator, I would work with the scholastic art directors. Bob as the author would be working with the editors and then the editors and the art directors would work together. So there was multiple levels of people in between us. So I wasn't even hip enough to know he RL had a track record by the time Goosebumps started. He was he was the real deal. He had stuff going on and I was ignorant enough not to know who he was. So when it came along it wasn't like oh this is this is cool. I'm going to be working with one of the heavy hitters. He was they said the name and I went okay, that sounds good to me. And um, so in actuality, we worked together for probably two years before we even shook each other's hand. So, um, yeah, there was a he'll famously tell, tell everyone that he had absolutely no say in anything that went on the covers of his books, which is kind of funny. You know, he was he got the. It, the only luxury he had was he got to be the first person to see the finished artwork before anybody else. And after that, he didn't have a lot to say, or, you know, I'm sure if he didn't like something or he had suggestions, I'm sure they would have made it to into, uh, into my court. But um, from, from what he says, maybe he's just being nice to me, but he says he always loved what I came up with. Dave, I'm sure you can kind of relate to that because, like, you do so many different people's, like, uh, you know, T-shirts and just artwork for them. And at a certain point, this is just, you know, this is just a person that you're used to just corresponding emails with. And then when you finally do get to meet them, it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always fun to collaborate. I 
there's there are times where I wish uh, like having that creative freedom to just you know they give you certain parameters and then you just do it and then they say I like it you know that that seems awesome but that it the artwork on the Goosebumps covers is so easy to like like I can't imagine someone saying yuck that's not at all what I was thinking of well to to be perfectly honest in the book business you, you there's a I had uh, a lot of freedom doing the Goosebumps covers. And that's very, very unique. Uh, doing book covers in general is a collaborative thing. Uh, you have a lot of people's opinions. Uh, people will weigh in at any given time, you know, not only at the beginning when it's most useful, but they could be showing up at the 11th hour and making you change stuff. Ugh. For whatever reason, here, here's my theory. This is totally my theory. And if somebody else says this is it happened differently, that could be true, too. This is just from from where I sat. When Goosebumps started, they weren't very sure of it. Actually, they were kind of downplaying it going. I don't know if this is going to work. It was the first time they had done horror for that age group. They were really concerned that the kids wouldn't be drawn to it and that it really was going to be a bust. So at the beginning, when you have a project like that, where nobody's putting a lot of merit into it, then people leave you alone because it's not that big of a deal. And they right. have other things on their desk that they feel is more important. So for the first couple of books, uh, I got to just, you know, do what I wanted to do. And again, people were very nice. They liked the stuff. And then somewhere around book six, book nine, somewhere in there, all you guys started telling each other that goosebumps were cool and <laughs> the sales started to take off. And it was from a flat line where there was talk of maybe this is it. Goosebumps is going to stop at, you know, book 10 to, oh my God, there goes the sales. And at that point, now they've got a rocket ship running and everybody took the same thing going, don't touch this. Don't anybody mess with this. This is working. Let him do what he wants to do. So I don't think there would be any other scenario where I wouldn't have more people uh, putting their two cents worth in. Uh, I did work with people. I'm not one of those guys who don't, who thinks I have all the great ideas. That's not the case. Uh, right. I always want to hear other people's ideas. And uh, I like I like when somebody has an idea that I think is hard to do. And I wouldn't normally come up with that one because I would shy away from it. I like that because then it forces you to do something and get your act together and get, you know, improve yourself, get better. Having done as many covers as you have, specifically for the Goosebumps series, because I, I know you've worked on other things as well, but as it pertains to the Goosebumps one, are there any that stick out as you as like, you know, like, I can't believe I got to do this one? Like, I know for me personally, Haunted Mask, the Haunted Mask series is my favorite. So that's always just like one of those iconic oh, ones. That, you know, whatever, that or Night of the Living Dummy, just those two are like, you know, when I think Goosebumps, those are just the two that I go to. Are there any that stick out particularly for you? So... It, it, again, it was a different perspective. So, and uh, I'm doing the sketch for, you know, if you're, if you're at the store and you're, R.L. Stein was writing the book at the same time I was doing the cover. 
So I didn't have the books to read. I got a little synopsis of what the book was about. So it took me a long time to go, oh, my cover and this book go together really good. You know, when I got a chance to go back and read the books, it was always very disjointed. So I didn't have the, I didn't get the full, the full impact. You know, I knew the story was about a haunted mask, but I didn't know what happened in the haunted mask. I didn't know what happened in any Goosebumps story. Like, I never knew the ending to any Goosebumps story while I was doing the cover, which is pretty good because maybe I would have given away too much uh, on on the art. So um, there's ones that uh, became, you know, iconic. And then, you, you know, that's the ones that people know the best. You guys hit two right on the head, you know, uh, Haunted Mask, Night of the Living Dummy, uh, A Day at Horrorland. You know, these are ones that everybody knows and are drawn to. Um, I There's ones that just, you know, I knew that something cool was going on way early on when we did uh, Say Cheese and Die. Mm-hmm. Because Welcome to Dead House was a almost a typical horror story it was a house and there's a guy in the window and the door is partially open and okay yeah that it it's cool but when we're doing a family of skeletons barbecuing that's you know we've gone to a whole different realm and i was like oh this is fun that's what this this is supposed to be fun this isn't 100 percent scary it's kind of funny at times so i just couldn't wait to do the next one because i'm like Wow, if I get to, you know, who doesn't want to do a family of skeletons barbecuing? That's a, you know, that's my job. I'll take that every day of the week. Now, like, I I haven't been keeping up with young adult serialized fiction, but like, I think what's lacking now are books like Goosebumps now. You know, like when I was younger, there, you know, you always have like um, the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, uh, Babysitters Club. These really short, you know, compact stories that you could read, and then, uh, you know, you get a new one the next month or every couple months or so. And now it seems like they're leaning towards more like novel styles, and then you'll get one every couple of years or so. Right? Uh, do you think something like that is kind of lacking in today's uh, youth fiction? Um, there's a couple of things. Um, I think the '90s were a real golden time because. Mm-hmm everybody was taking chances. There was a lot of crazy stuff happening in all forms of media, not just in uh, the book market, which was cool. There was, you know, you guys had a a lot to choose from and stuff that was, you know, horror was there. You know, there was kooky stuff on, uh, you know, Nickelodeon. You guys had some of the wildest uh, cartoons going on and everything's been kind of homogenized since then. And, you know, we're we're nerfing everything in our life to make sure nobody gets hurt. And it's bled over into the culture. And, you know, uh, I wish there was more edgy stuff going on for younger kids and, you know, to 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 have, you know, I don't they don't necessarily need more goosebumps, but they could sure use something unique that played right. a little bit on the edge and, and and did give them a little bit of a jolt. You know, our job wasn't to knock you guys out and leave you crying. You know, it was it, just get a little fear action going and have you get your heart rate up a little bit. And uh, yeah, that's missing. 
the, the, the other side of it where, you know, making large novels that people can, can really get into. I, I think there's a lot of economics behind that. And, right. um, you know, paperbacks were in, in the eighties and nineties. And even before that, the amount of paperback books that were sold was astronomical. It was off the charts. And because there were very limited forms of entertainment. There was, you know, the, the internet was in its infancy, if it existed at all. You didn't look at your phone for content. You went elsewhere and there was 12 channels on the damn TV. So picking up a book was something you did all the time. And paperbacks were just a few bucks, you know, 350, four bucks. You get yourself a paperback. So they were, you know, they were a go-to location to get some, some real entertainment. And, now it's diverse. You can get there's all kinds of entertainment. So the paperback market doesn't isn't what it was for sure. And uh, yeah, the there the more stuff is sold by author name now than by uh, storytelling. See, I'm someone who I very much appreciate appreciate physical media still. Like I will still buy you know a DVD or a Blu-ray or go and buy actual books like. I mean, again, even with the Goosebumps books, what saved me was the, the uh, you know, there's no shortage of half-price books or half, you know, like those kinds of uh, uh, bookstores everywhere where it's like, yeah, sure, I can, I you know, I could have easily been like, oh, you want to read all the Goosebumps books? Here, let me get your tablet. There you go. Let me put in my credit card information. You have all of them at your disposal. But like to me, there is just still something, you know, charming about having like the actual book. Um, you mentioned TV as well, which is funny because uh, – like I was just, I was so obsessed with these like Goosebumps books as a kid. Our family, we take like a, a a trip to Wisconsin Dells. You know, it's just like, all right, we're going to Wisconsin Dells for the weekend, and we didn't have cable, so I was completely unaware that there's a Goosebumps TV show, and I'm probably eight, maybe nine years old. And I remember being furious, furious with my parents, swearing that like they had ruined my vacation because they did not <laughs> let me stay at this hotel by myself because I'm like, oh, let me see what's on TV. And I'm just like, wait a minute, there's a Goosebumps TV show. And like that, that that's just a story that like they still bring up to this day where like, how, <laughs> how dare they not let me stay at a hotel, you know, by myself at eight years old because I, I really wanted to, um, you know, to, to, watch this goosebumps tv show because i was just you know so enamored with the show um but like i, I mentioned you know obviously you, you've done more things um than goosebumps uh, at one point do you start uh illustrating uh i started so i went to a small art school in hillsborough new jersey and one of my instructors was a uh a book illustrator uh we had all different kinds of uh, instructors. Uh, I had wildlife artists and, uh, you know, more standard, um, you know, art directors. Uh, also had uh, some incredible painters who worked for uh, the, the Navy. So we had a, a, just a, a wide range of people who taught us. But this guy's his art lent itself, you know, and it was a, a very surrealistic style. And uh, he took a liking to me and I, what was great is I was ignorant enough to, to go, Oh, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. If I, if I knew better, 
I would have talked myself out of it. Luckily, no one in my family is in the book business or anything. Like there's so many things along the way that I had no idea were going to come. And I very easily could have talked myself out of it. But one of the things that this instructor did for me is when I got out of school, you know, he kept telling me, yeah, you, you know, why not? You could do this. Why not? You know, you, of course you could do this. And uh, when we graduated, he said, okay, I'm going to do you one favor. He goes, you're not going to go get a job with me, but you're going to come with me when I deliver a piece of artwork and you're going to sit there with me while I talk to the art director. And we talk about, you know, either changes to the art or just, I want you to get a feel for just coming and sitting in an art director's office and, you know, and, you know, put yourself there, start to start to visualize yourself being there. So we did just that. And uh, he took me into New York. I brought, I brought my portfolio with me because he said the guy was going to be nice enough to take a look at it. And so we go into this guy's office and the thing that struck me right away was, okay, now this is uh, 80 something, 85, 84. And there's no digital art at all. Everything is traditional. And when you go into an art director's office, there's literally hundreds of paintings just leaning up against the wall. And, you know, they could be five or 10 deep and they're all around the room and they're stacked on the desk and they're on the, you know, on the windowsill, they're, they're everywhere. And I just remember walking in and seeing, and all of it, so good, all of it off the charts, good. And I know what I got in my portfolio. And I was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to show this. I don't want to show this today. I, you know, I'm, it's just cool enough to be here. But I, the thing that struck me the most was as soon as I leave here, all this goes in the garbage. I got to start all over again. I need to make better stuff to really find myself to come back here and actually be part of this. And uh, the guy was great. He was nice. He looked at my stuff and he gave me the advice of, yeah, he goes, you're, you have nice art, but it looks like school art. He goes, if you want to get in the book business, everything in your portfolio should look like a book cover. And so there it was. And I went home and I spent two years and um, I threw everything away and I started from scratch and I came up with eight book cover looking pieces and started that, then hit the streets and it took a little bit, it took a little time, but finally landed one. And once you land one, it's, it's easier to get the next one because nobody wants to be the first guy to take a chance because they don't know if you're a loser or not. You know, you may, right. you know, you can produce nice work and put it in your portfolio, but the idea of doing someone else's idea, getting it done on time, being consistent, you know, can you do it more than once? That's the, you know, that's the chance they're all taking. And a lot of guys didn't want to take it, but yeah, I got, again, I, and I say this a lot and it's not some modesty bullshit, I've been very lucky and luck is an element of everybody's life and, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Listen, you should got to, you got to work hard. You have to do all of those things, 
but there's also an element of luck. And I was just, I got a couple of those lucky breaks along the way. And that's why I'm still, you know, I'm 63 now and I'm still doing covers. And I would have never imagined that that was possible. I would have never imagined it was possible to do two, let alone be doing it for, you know, do hundreds and still continuing to do it. Well, I, I think that's a really great art uh, attitude as an artist, you know, especially when you're starting out. And, and I think for a lot of artists, they really have a, a an idea of exactly how maybe their career is going to go. And then for someone to give you that open and honest critique and say, yeah, this portfolio is not really doing it. Some artists would just double down and say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. And taking that hard step of saying, all right, I'm going to take the advice. I'm going to scrap the portfolio. And I'm just going to do the work. And I think, you know, you mentioned luck, but there's also a, a large amount of that is the preparation for when your lucky break comes. And so, 100% true. Yeah. You know, if you're just sitting around waiting for luck to show up, that bus yeah. isn't coming. Yeah. There's that, you know, you keep putting in your 100% and you keep banging. So that day that break does come you are doing all your best work. You're firing on all cylinders. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, and I'm more towards the other side where uh, a lot of artists are self crippling where I was always, this isn't, you know, even when I was rebuilding that portfolio, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough to go get a job. I got, you know, I need to do one more before I head back to the city. I need to do one more. These aren't quite it. And you can, you know, the part that makes you get better can also be the part that holds you back. You know, there's that that fine line. There's, you know, every once in a while, you just got to pull the trigger and go, okay, we're going. And in my case, it was my ex-wife who was going, you can keep saying you need to do more or you need to do another. These are good enough. You know, these are great. Just, you know, let's go, 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 go show people it. And yeah. again, I'm still my own worst critic. I, there is nothing that I don't look at that I do where I, there's still some head shaking that goes on and, uh, you know, we should have done this or I should have done that or, you know, right from the start, I should have looked at it this way. And, but that's the beauty of it. I mean, if everything I did now, I was satisfied with, I'd be kind of boring. And I'm, you know, and we all do it with it. And it's not, that's not an art thing that, that pertains to, you know, that pertains to anyone's life and what they're doing and, you know, what, whatever you do for a living. Well, there, there's that, there's that old saying, it can be perfect or it can be done. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that applies to artists more than anyone, especially when you're a commercial artist. You know, I mean, yes. <laughs> when you when you're a fine artist and no one's there to tell you, hey, you know, that's got to be done now and you could string it out as long as you want. Boy, that could be, you know, that could be trouble where when, uh, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. There's a deadline every time. It's not open ended. It's you know, usually it's a heck of a lot shorter than you really want it to be. But yeah. to your point, you got to go, okay, let's turn the corner. We got to bring this thing home and that's good enough. And like you say, you figure out how to do things that, again, most of the time it's things that only 
annoyed me. You know, no one else looking at it. They're not seeing the same piece of art that I'm seeing. I've already spent, you know, 40 hours staring at this piece of art endlessly. No one else is going to do that ever. You know, even if you hang it in your house and you love it to death, you're going to look at it and then you're going to walk away and you're going to go do something else. And <laughs> it, it only I see what I see and everybody else experiences a different piece of art. And I'm sure it must be the same for musicians. The song that they write and the song that they're hearing in their head isn't the one that we're hearing because we've only heard it, you know, a dozen times and they've heard it 12,000 times. It's funny. It reminds me of a certain co-host of mine who, whenever he's uh, doing all the artwork for for our <laughs> show, will say, what do you think of this new T-shirt design? And I'm like, David, that is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And he just goes, yeah, it's all right. And I'm like, no, 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 trust me. I'm like, people are going to love this. And he's just like, nah. yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a curse and a blessing. You know, that's what makes you better, but it's also, you know, it, it can be, it, it can, what I find is the pieces that I think uh, are the greatest things I've ever done maybe doesn't get as much thrill out of people. And then other pieces that I know they're good. They're okay. You know, uh, are the ones that people are just, you know, are the ones that people point to as, Oh, that's the greatest thing you ever did. And I'm like, yeah, but look at how much effort this one, you know, like you can't even sell them on the concept of, Hey, look at this one. It's just the way it's just the way it is. And uh, people like what they like. And that's, that's also cool. That's, you know, that's the fun part of this. Well, I, I think one of the, the things too about your artwork is that like, there's definitely sometimes that just the artwork itself sold the book, you know, like I didn't, I didn't have to look at what the book was about. It was just like, Oh, Oh shit. Look at this one. You know, that looks rad. Yeah. Like it just, it looks cool. <laughs> you know, like, do I really, do I really want to read a book about lawn gnomes? No, but like, look at how cool the artwork's. Like, it, it has to be good, and you know th that is again one of the beauties. Like, it it sells itself, and very much like because I'm sure there's musicians we all listen to, who are like, oh yeah, you know what? Um, they put out a new album. I wasn't even aware. Let me listen to it because you know they they haven't steered me wrong before in the past, and so you definitely want to look at it. And also one of the things you mentioned earlier that I that I, I love when with just people in any sort of like art field say is, you know, just like, don't do it expecting, you know, to, to blow up. Like Dave and I, we, we, you know, it's not like we expect, uh, you know, Joe Rogan sponsors to go, Hey, you know what? Forget about that Rogan boy. We're going to sponsor you guys. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's more so it's like, yeah, let's just, you know, let's have fun. Let's, let's be good at what we do so that when, you know, we get a uh, famous, right. Famous you don't, you don't aim that way, but yeah, you don't aim in that direction, but that shit can happen. You know, like it can happen. It can. And, uh, but that can't ever be your driving force. Well, yeah, it gets, it gets, the, the water gets muddy. You know, yeah. you should think that that's going to happen and you shouldn't think that's going to happen and you'll be fine. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so just as we sort of widen down here, um, is there any advice for anyone listening right now who in the back of their minds, like, Oh, I would really love to, you know, um, to illustrate a book as, as far as, you know, I mean, you've already kind of mentioned, like, don't, don't sit around waiting for some major publisher to, you know, discover you. Uh, but like, is there any other advice you would give to people who want to get into illustration? Well, we've touched on a couple of them and I'll, I'll hammer it home, but 
this is a great time for young and up and coming uh, artists because there's so much media out there. Uh, and if your thing is book covers, there's lots of people who can self-publish now. You're not just stuck with, oh, I have to work for Scholastic or I have to work for Simon & Schuster. It's not the way it works anymore. Everybody can publish and more people are writing. And again, these aren't, uh, they may not be big giant publications that sell millions of books, but it's an opportunity and it's an opportunity to be on a real book that gets printed and, you know, it's tangible and you can hold it and your artwork's there. And there's a lot of that, uh, a lot of that out there, but back to what we were really just talking about is the most important part. Find something that you like to do, whether it's writing or creating music, or in my case, illustrating and drawing and do it for the sake of doing it. Like I, I've always tried to think about what would have happened if I never got that first book cover. And I got to believe, and I still believe that I'd still be doing this. Uh, you know, it would still be on a Wednesday night. If I got home from my regular job, I would go, all right, I feel like drawing. I feel like painting. Yeah, I, maybe it wouldn't be the subject matter that I'm doing now, or maybe I would be uh, still doing a more acrylic work than digital work, but I would be just doing it to, you know, enjoy myself. And if you can find that thing that you like to do and enjoy yourself, it'll come through and people will start to gravitate to that because your positive energy, your, your happiness, your whatever it is, is going to be reflected in that art and it's going to reflect back on them. So just do what you like to do and you'll always be happy and maybe you'll make a couple of bucks. Tim, thank you so much for, you know, spending time with us today to, to talk. It's, again, it, it's a really big thing for me. Like, you know, people all yeah. the time are like, oh, you guys must be so excited when you get to talk to, like, wrestlers and things like that. And uh, honestly, to me... I'd like to talk to wrestlers, too. So, yeah, I, appreciate, I really appreciate you guys reaching out. I do, you know, you can tell I talk a lot. I like to talk to people. This is, you know, this is not something that you know I, i've had people say oh gee doesn't this get old and it's like no no this this doesn't get old this is the cool part is people like you you guys are out there you're being creative you're doing your own thing you you know you were you know hopefully influenced positively by the goosebumps thing and kind of help put us all here at the same time that's great Awesome. We appreciate it. And hopefully yeah, we, we can yeah, we can have you back, you know, some other time because uh, anytime. Yeah. I feel like we uh, just sort of scratch the surface. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's plenty of crazier stories to talk about. We could do that too. If people want to find you online, you know, look at some of your artwork and stuff, where could they go for all that? Yeah. Just, uh, it, it always, you know, with social media, just type in Tim Jacobus and it will get you there. Uh, on the web, it's jacobusstudios.com, and you can find uh, the Goosebumps prints that are available there and other prints as well. Awesome. Thank you again, Tim. We appreciate it. And like we mentioned, everyone knows here that whenever we have a guest on that we clearly like, we're already advertising episode two. So episode two <laughs> with you at some point down the line. And hopefully, you know, we get to meet at some point at one of these cons because that would be great. Yeah. yeah anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Have me back. 
Thank you once again to Tim Jacobus for that interview. It was still fun afterwards. We, we, we chatted with him for a little bit. He's actually this weekend, he was up at a convention that um, I was like, oh, maybe I should try to make my way up there. Um, but I'm actually, I'm, I'm just, I'm busy today as of, as of this recording. So I yeah. was like, I, I wouldn't have been able to make it up there. Um, but yeah, def, definitely someone that like, I think would be cool to meet in person one of these days, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, we we got to ask him about commissions too. Uh, yeah, as well. Yeah, God, I again, it was one of How those. Cool would that be? Yeah, it, it was one of those things where we just we hit it. We really hit it off. Very much the same way. Like I, I think when we interviewed like uh, like Brody King or like those kinds mm-hmm. of people, um, that yeah, we just hit it off from the get go. And awesome guy, you know, can't wait to talk to him again. Um, cool. Speaking of awesome people, though, uh, the the show of course is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors. We have. Um, Guerrilla Publishing, uh, our favorite independent comic company right now. Uh, they have a Kickstarter up for the Ralphs right now, for the show Ashley Esper. You know her her Kickstarter. Go go check them out. Uh, M three Toys as well. They have a bunch of new arrivals coming in and a bunch of stuff you can pre order. Head over there and use the promo code PWTCast. Get a whole ass ten percent off. And of course, Freelance Wrestling and Freelance Underground, Chicago's premier uh, independent wrestling companies. They're starting to run shows again. I can't wait to go see our boy Trevor Outlaw. Uh, you know, become become king of freelance as you know the boys. He's been killing it. Oh, to think good we, for him. we were there to see his first match, you know, live and uh, yeah, it was, it was it's fun to you know see where where he's at now. I, I can't wait to see him one of these days crushing it on weekly TV. Um, but uh, another way you can support us though is aside from you know supporting our wonderful sponsors is heading over to patreon patreon.com forward slash pwt cast again three different tiers you could sign up for and uh there's several people who've signed up for it we're at 23 right now like if we could get up to 25 i i think that would be fucking awesome that would be cool you know yeah and um yeah you know part of it is you get a weekly shout out so i want to go ahead and give a shout out to our wonderful uh patrons so i'm of course talking about the wonderful clifford fraser jesse kohlenberg who Jesse, I, I love Jesse because um, uh, I, I posted I posted something earlier in the week on Twitter, and Jesse, knowing me so well, having known me so well, says, "Well, he's like, it's either this group is getting back together, or this is probably about a girl." And I was just like, Jesse, you son of a bitch. You know me so well. Uh, so shout out Jesse Kohlenberg. Uh, our little buddy, Mark Villanueva, who this guy, he ooh, he had a Hulk Hogan tan going on, brother. He's been out in the sun three days. I believe he's going back to Riot Fest today to see Slipknot. But boy, was this man just, he looked like he'd been living on a beach. Uh, our, our man, Joshua Davis, the invincible man himself, Ryan Mears, uh, <clears throat> our man, Neil Flanagan, Shannon Howanick, Jonathan Mayer, Hot Topic Joe, who I may be seeing this weekend. I may be going down nice. to uh, L.A. for PWG. I haven't made up my mind. Um, I got to see how things work out. Uh, of course, uh, Ryan Crossley, Taffy, again, who I might be seeing this weekend, Vivian. I should go drop off Vivian's birthday presents today. You should. I should. I'm going to text her after this. Uh, our man, Anthony Torres, Brandon from New Jersey, WH Park, who, uh, again, I, you might have been like, hey, you guys didn't really mention how, how you felt about this Hawkeye trailer or this week's episode of What If. If you want to hear that, go over to postwrestling.com where you can hear us talk with WH Park um, about all that good stuff because we did an episode of uh, MCU later with them. And, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. John Cena, of course, you can hear me talk about his beautiful, how beautiful his eyes are on that episode of uh, mcu later um 
I was hoping to run into this person yesterday because I knew he was at Riot Fest, but I didn't. And I'm, of course, talking about my godfather, Jesus. Shout out, Jesus. Shout out, Jesus. Uh, or even this man who was there yesterday, too, but I didn't see him. And, of course, talking about uh, Brad or B. Dornick. Um, you know, shout out Moises Garcia, Sean Levine, Eric Campbell, Katie Fabe, and, of course, the one, the only, Steve Feast. Thank you again to everyone who subscribes. Thank you to everyone for the support, you know. Um, make sure to like and retweet, you know, all, all the new episodes we put up. Uh, we greatly appreciate all the support. Um, <clears throat> there will be an episode, uh, for those of you guys who are members of the Patreon, there will be a new episode of uh, uh, Scrump and Stank's family video this Friday. And uh, with October coming up, we're working on uh, some spooky stuff for you guys. Because uh, mm. you know, if you guys know anything about me and Dave, is we love Halloween. I actually picked out. I already have my Halloween costume. Um, I'm going as Danny Darko this year, simply because Ooh. of how easy it is to put that costume together, um, and how lazy I get. <laughs> Uh, to put together something intricate. So thank you again, uh, you know, for uh, all the support, you guys. Thank you again for listening. Dave, is there any any final words you have before we get out of here? No, I mean, you know, uh, treat each other nice, uh, stay safe, and if you're feeling a little sick, get tested and just be safe around each other because uh, anyone can get COVID as I've uh, gone out of my way to prove, I suppose. But uh, other than that, you guys have a great week and uh, yeah. All right, guys. Well, for the PWT cast, I've been Scrump. And this is Stank. And this is friend of the show, Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega here, friend of the show. We've run out of things to say here at the PWT cast. And so, I must bid you adieu. Goodbye and good night. Bang, bang.